good. I'm so glad that you came today. Um, I'd encourage you to take out your outline, which is like a little piece of paper. It'll just help you take something away from this service. We want you to get something. If anybody needs one, is anybody that needs one or doesn't have one night, just raise your hand and Gerard will get one to you. We're in part two of strengthening your family. And you know, every couple of years I like to look at this because we drift over time. We have great intentions. It's like when I fly from, from Auckland to Los Angeles, I take off at Mangari and I head off in the northeastern direction, which is actually over there. And we go and we head off in a particular course, but over the time, we're only a few hundred kilometers out, and the wind and the, the, the airflows bump us off course. We have to keep making mid-flight corrections to make sure we get to where we want to get to. And today, what I'm going to talk about is how to strengthen relationships. Now, if you're married today, I want you to think in that mode, marriage. If you are not married today, you're young, or maybe you perhaps once were married, or however it may be, I want you to think in terms of relationships, because these biblical principles are very applicable and will help strengthen your family and your relationships, no matter what they are. So first of all, again, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. It is so good to be with you. By the way, that dear lady that was just with us, Denise, I get the privilege of meeting with her every week. And the great news is, she's had seven children. So I am constantly peppering the older women around me and asking them for advice. Because they've, they've done it. They're ahead of me. I've had, my wife and I, we've had four. But seven beats four. So they win. <laughs> and I always keep, the Bible says if you're a leader, you need to be a learner. And it doesn't matter what stage of your life you're at, you and I, God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. So what that really means is, do you want to take another step in your relationship? Do you want to grow? And my hope and heart for you today is that you do want to grow. So with that thought in mind, let me just say this. I know in our family, mum's happy when everybody gets along, right? Everybody in the family gets along. And that's why we're in a series called Strengthening Your Family. See, families are stronger when marriages are stronger. Families are stronger when the relationships within the family are stronger. And actually, let's read this first verse together. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2, it's there on your outline and up on the screen. Let's read it aloud together. Okay? Live together in and as though you only had and okay I want you to circle three words there which reply apply to your relationships and your family the first one of course is harmony the second one is love and the third one is mind we used to have a, a verse in our refrigerator and that was very helpful to us it said let us concentrate on the things that promote harmony because it's very easy to focus and concentrate on the things that are not going right. But we have to balance that. So God's ideal for your relationships there, whether you're married or not, doesn't matter, is harmony in your relationships, love and unity, one mind. Ephesians 4 says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Now you may want to circle an unusual word there, effort. It takes effort to have good relationships make every effort that's 
God's will. But the reality is, unfortunately, in our world, a lot of relationships are peppered with disharmony, the opposite. They're peppered with conflict. They're peppered with disappointment. That's the reality. So many people will say, Pastor Ian, I am disappointed in my marriage. I'm disappointed that my friendships seem to be just one way. One guy told me once, when I got married, I had this great ideal. And then a few months later, it turned into a big ordeal, and it's not long before I'm looking for a new deal. <laughs> what happened there? Anybody kind of, you laugh, but perhaps you understand why. What happened there? What happens? Good marriages, good relationships, they don't just happen. They take effort. So here's a question. Quick sidebar. Is there anything intentionally specific that you're doing to build your relationships, to build your marriage? Or is it just touch and go? You hardly communicate much. Let's take, for example, very colloquially, this week. What was the big news this week in marriage relationships? Bill and Melinda Gates. Some of the richest people in the world, next to Jeff Bozos. Bill and Melinda had all the money in the world, so to speak. And they're supposed to be smart, but they're actually very stupid. What rational, sane thinking person in this world would let the world push it into such a mold that it says, yeah, I have a girlfriend before I get married. I ask my girlfriend if it's okay to get married to this other girl. And then when I'm, with, when I'm actually married to this girl and have three children with this girl, is it okay, my wife, if I go back and shack up with my first girlfriend once a week in North Carolina? Is that all right? And she stupidly said yes. That's how crazy this world is. It's called an open relationship. It's not godly. It's not biblical. And it's full of pain. Their marriage seems to me to be more like a business partnership or an economic entity for convenience. But as we start this message, I've got some good news for you now. Just some minor changes in your relationship, some minor changes in your marriage, in the way you relate to your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your friends can make a major difference, major so this morning, I want to look and re-emphasize. We've looked at this over the years, over 15 years, at different ways of doing this. But of six habits, habits are repeated patterns of behavior. This is what they are. This is why they're important. Repeated patterns of behavior of a satisfying marriage. By the way, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. If anybody tells you that, they're lying. They need to come see me. I'll straighten that out. So I want to quickly identify them for you so that you can start thinking. Now, please, do not come to this church ever with the idea, I just want to listen. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think, what in this message today from God's Word can I take and use to strengthen my relationship, to strengthen my marriage, be it at home or at work or whatever it may be? So... Periodically, we need to do a marriage checkup or a relationship checkup. How are we actually doing in our marriage? Like, remember we do with cars? A warrant of fitness. So I like to use that analogy. 
Six quick things, ingredients, for you to check up on to help you have a satisfying marriage. So if you're really interested in moving your marriage from wherever it is on the continuum, another step forward, take some notes today. And not only take notes, that's the first step, but then you need to apply God's word so we don't deceive ourselves. Number one, and it's the most, you've heard this many times, it's not new, but the number one ingredient, we need to have good communication. Good communication. Now let me give you one of my favorite verses for communication in a relationship at work in your business. Here it is. Reliable communication permits progress. Reliable. Circle the word progress. You want to make marriage, um, progress in your marriage? Progress in your relationship? You need to have good, clear, reliable communication. To make progress in any relationship with your spouse, with your kids. You kind of get the feeling they're not telling you quite the truth sometimes. You know, Reliable communication. With your co-worker, with your boss, with your friend. Reliable and clear communication. So for progress to take place, you have got to, shock on the horror, talk to one another. Talk. Now, I'm gonna get, I've been doing a little bit of work, so now it's your turn. I want you to guess how much time the average couple in New Zealand spend alone talking to one another about serious issues, substantive issues, not did you get the milk? How long? you think? Five minutes. five minutes? I hear five minutes. Come on, don't be shy. This is a family. Pam? You've been reading my message. It is actually four minutes a day, the average couple. Four miserable minutes. Now you compare the four miserable minutes, and you load that up into a week, that's 28 great minutes a week. You compare that to the 21 hours of TV, the average Kiwi source, AC Nielsen, in New Zealand. 21 hours compared to 28 minutes. No wonder so many marriages are just barely hanging in there. See, there's no progress if you don't talk to one another. That's what the Bible says. Now, some of you, you need to take a break. You need to take some time with your spouse, just you two. Sort the kids out with somebody else. Grandparents, you can possibly help with this one if you're not in that phase. And you young ones who are not married yet, don't think that just because you get married, you can't get time by yourself. You need time to strengthen your marriage. Now, one of the reasons we have problems in communication is because men and women clearly communicate differently. So I read this this week, that a woman went to a judge and told him, I want to divorce my husband. And the judge said, do you have any grounds? And he said, well, no, but I do own half an acre in Taupo. And the judge said, no, no, I mean, do you have a grudge? And she said, no, we parked the car beside the house. <laughs> and then the judge says, does your husband beat you up? He says, no, I'm always up about an hour before him. <laughs> Frustrated, the judge said, well, why do you want a divorce? And she says, well, we just aren't able to communicate. <laughs> See, sometimes in your marriage, or in any relationship for that matter, communication is difficult, and we need to keep on working on that. It's a skill we must keep learning on. And one of the reasons you, don't, you have communication problems is... You, 
you probably expect your mate to think exactly like you do. And actually, the truth is the opposite for me. I need to think about the opposite of what I think, and it's probably what Kimberly thinks. And it may be the same for you. So, yeah. <laughs> so here's what I want on. Just, just this one, an honest evaluation on communication in, firstly all, your marriage, or if you're not married, in the relationship with a friend. If you say, well, we never seem to understand each other, give yourself, on that scale, up there, give yourself a scale of maybe one. But if you say, we're sometimes on the same way and leave, maybe give yourself a five, but here's the deal. If you say, we schedule time to talk, schedule, put it in your diary, in your outlook. Yeah, splam, splam, plan spontaneity is better than it never happening. Because often we have good intentions, but it just doesn't happen. And by the way, on that one, related to the other point I mentioned, to get away with your wife, if this is a point for you, why don't you put it in your diary and plan for a time? Because if you wait for the time to take off from your job, there's never time. Make time for your spouse and to communicate. So, as you talk more on this one, as you learn to talk more, your numbers are going to rise. Number two, the second vital ingredient for a good, healthy relationship is consideration. Consideration. Consideration, what does that mean? It means paying attention to what the other person feels. I was terrible at this when we first got married. And not invalidating feelings like, which is I used to do. Well, honey, you shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> Just because I didn't, I didn't, I thought she shouldn't either. But she had good reasons for that, which didn't make a slightest bit of sense to me. But there were val- you know, I need to validate how she actually felt, not just blow it away. So this means treating your spouse or your friend with common courtesy. If it's a friend, show up on time. Your yes is yes and your no is no. It's treating people with respect. Helping them in any way you can. Actually, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, show your love. This is how you show your love. By being helpful to each other. This week, my wife had a, a honeydew project for me out the side. It's been waiting there and been putting it off and putting it off. So we... <laughs> We decided to put it together. It was a, one of those kids' kitchens. And let me tell you, this sucker was probably this high, this wide. And it took my wife an hour and I an hour and a half to put this thing together. But it was meaningful to her. To me, it was at the very bottom of my priority list. I'm trying to fix my house. But show your love by being helpful to each other. Now, consideration, another way of looking at that, is it means being open to bring the washing in in the second half of the Warriors game when it's really getting tense. It means men waiting till she's got both feet in the car until you drive off out the driveway. (laughs) It's the little things that count for women. The little things that add up. It's not the big splashy gifts. (coughs) James 3.17, notice this verse, very practical. Wisdom shows itself by being considerate. So the mark of being wise is being considerate. When I'm being considerate, I'm being wise. Therefore, when I'm being inconsiderate, I'm being foolish. 
and destroying my relationship or my marriage. In any relationship, wisdom shows itself in consideration, caring for the needs of the other. So evaluate yourself on that one. How considerate are you? On a scale of 1 to 10. Am I considerate when I'm in a good mood? I'm perky. Give yourself a one. If I help my mate when they ask me, well, give yourself a five. But if I look for ways to help my mate out, then give yourself a ten. So the question here is, do you look for ways? Do you see it as one of the goals of your life to make it easier for your husband or your wife? Do you look to help your friends to say, how can I lighten the load or am I wrapped up in me and being inconsiderate of other people's needs? Third thing, compromise. Third ingredient is we need to compromise. How do we get that? Well, the very famous verse that you've all heard at weddings is from 1 Corinthians 13.5, and it says this, love does not demand its own way. That's the mark of genuine love. It's unselfish. Do you demand your own way in your relationship or in your marriage? You know, it's either my way or the highway. Love it or leave it. Lump it. You always push for your way. What you need to know is this. Every marriage has conflict. Every marriage. And you're always going to have some things that you disagree on. So that's okay. What we have to learn the skill of is how to disagree agreeably. And we need to teach our children that. We need to teach our grandchildren that. Do not let them be beaten by the world's model where they can't stand up for what they believe in. That is a recipe for disaster. The roadmap for that is a wreck. You teach your kids to disagree. You disagree in your marriage. You disagree in a friendship, but you do it in an agreeable, respectful manner. That is a tremendous heritage that you can pass on to your children and your grandchildren. So both good marriages and bad marriages have moments of conflict. But in healthy relationships, the husband and the wife, they search for answers and areas of agreement because... They love each other. So God wants to use your marriage as an apprenticeship of maturity. Because when you're single, you think you're fairly unselfish until you get married. That's one level. And then you have children. That's a whole other level of unselfishness, right? And by the way, let me be really clear on this. God can even use a mate that's not a believer to help you grow spiritually and emotionally in relationships. Now, one of the things then you have to learn in marriage is how to compromise. And some of those areas of compromise, I can tell you from our marriage and from other marriages that I've seen over the years. There's a kind of vac- vacation you take. Kimberly and I have just driven 5,000 kilometers in the last little while. That was my type of an idea of a, a, good, a good holiday. But we took it to it all around the way around the South Island. And we love that. But we can't do that all the time. 
Sometimes I'm going to sit still for a while and just relax and enjoy and talk and read and snooze and do all the things you want to do. So some people love 82 places in 10 days. Other people love to just hang at one. But the deal is you need to plan in advance. Some of you have got all the details. You've got the AA guy out. You've got the Google Maps out. And some of the rest of you say, oh, forget all that. It's too hard. Let's just get in the car and go. <laughs> Different approaches. Remember what happens. Normally in a relationship, opposites attract, and then after a while, opposites attack. So you have to compromise. Maybe one year you do one type of vacation with somebody who loves, and the next year you take the other one. So you're going to have to compromise. Here's another big way you're going to have to compromise on. The way you raise kids. You young ones who haven't got there yet, this is going to be a big one. The way you raise your kids. Here's another one. The way your money is spent. How you do that. And by the way, you take all the stress out of that by having a budget. Then it's a document that you both agree to. And then you just follow the plan. You make your plan and you follow the plan. Another thing that'll be tricky is how often you see the in-laws. Another one is two you're going to have to compromise on is how you spend your day off. You see, friends, it's not your day off anymore. It's the family's day off. Once you're married, it's no longer what I want to do. It's what we want to do on our day off. So you have to compromise on those kind of things. More marriages, in my assessment, and the research I've read, including the Dobsons of this world, Family Life Today, would say die from inflexibility than they do from alcoholism or adultery. And what we're talking about, this inflexibility is an unwillingness to change which throttles the marriage. So evaluate yourself on this third secret to a satisfying marriage. Are you willing to compromise? If you say you're stubborn and I always want to get my way, you get a minus 10. <laughs> If you say, we don't talk about the issues, oh, they're there, but we don't bring them up. You're probably around about the one. If you say, stay with an issue, and you keep working on it until we reach a compromise, give yourself an eight. But if both of you have gotten to the stage where you both go the second mile without getting hot and heavy, when you disagree, give yourself a 10. Because often what happens is when there's a disagreement, the friction goes up, the heat goes up. Sometimes, unfortunately, which the scriptures do not or argue against, the volume starts to go up, and then it gets too hot, so you drop it, and it never gets resolved. And guess what happens? About down here, the same issue comes up, and you're back around the... Oh, I'm sure we'll be around this argument before, and it never gets resolved. So the key to sorting that is stay at it. Stay at the bargaining table. Number four. The fourth key ingredient is courtship. It's just kind of like romance, physical affection, fun times to enjoy one another. That's an important word, enjoy. It's not all grindstone. God intended your marriage to be this way. Look at this, Proverbs 5.19. Let your mate's affection fill you at all times with delight. What a great word. He says at all times. At all times to be affectionate. We, we, we're to keep on courting in our marriage. And again, if there's more courting going on in marriages, there'll be less marriages in court. 
So the problem is, the things that you once did to win your lovely lady or your handsome man back here, you stop doing. That energy and effort that you put into that, that zip and get up and go, you've got to fertilize. Because it's like, it's like a garden like we talked about last week. In the garden, have you noticed, you've got to work at growing the things that really you want to grow, because if you don't, things that you don't want to grow, grow like weeds. You've got to keep weed in the garden. And you've got to put in effort to build the things you want. To continue to keep that love alive, maybe this is a point for you. Are there some initiatives that you think you could pick up there to bring back the, the same things that you did back here when you first were trying to win your spouse? Keep on courting. You've got to keep on dating your mate. A man went to a psychiatrist with his wife. Brought her in, sat her down, and he said, my, my wife is deeply depressed. And the psychiatrist said, could I talk to her in private for a moment? So the psychiatrist talks to the woman and finds she's just starving for affection. So he brings the man back into the room and to model it to her, the psychiatrist walks over the man's wife and gives her a huge big hug and a big juicy kiss. And he said, she needs this every day of the week. And guys are pretty dumb, right? So the man said, and he thought, well, I think I can only get her here Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. <laughs> Part of the problem with romance and affection as husbands and wives see each other at the very worst part of that. When you're back here, you always foo-fooed up, like Gabe's here there. <laughs> All looking nice, smelling nice, you've got time, you're in some nice clothes. But now you're either rushed, you're stressed, you're on your way out to work, and you come home at night with nothing left to give and that is probably the only time you see the most important person in your life and they get the leftovers God wants you to change that Ecclesiastes 9.9 says enjoy life with your mate whom you love is that something that God's spirit is speaking to you about today and it applies both ways. We need to date our mate. We need to make our relationships a priority to become best friends and to have fun. And the problem is the longer you're married, the more we share the chores and the jobs and the maintenance and the less you share the joys. That's the problem. It can become all work and no play. And Nana Buckley used to say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So, one of the ways you can do that is you can develop common interests. It's great to see Marty's out and his electric bike with his, oh, I shouldn't have said that, Martin, and his bike with his wife. <laughs> but many people tell me, I have, we have nothing in common. Of course you don't. Why do you think you're attracted to that person? Again, before marriage, opposites attract, and afterwards, opposites can attack. So you must intentionally develop and find things that you both like to do. That takes effort. Make a list of those things that you can learn to do together that are fun. Because if you don't, the alternative is your life will become stale. It'll be all about work and fixing stuff. 
So evaluate yourself on this one. How well do you court your husband or your wife compared to what you'd like to? If it's non-existent or I'm too busy, give yourself a zero. If you say, I, now, this is, this, this is challenging to me this week. If you still write love notes to your husband and wife, give yourself an eight. If you say, we schedule some weekly time together away from our children, we schedule it, give yourself a 10 because you're proactively building in. Number five, that is commitment. Commitment. Rock solid commitment. The Bible says in Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. Make sure you do not break your promise to be faithful to your mate. Now it's interesting that even the secular liberal media like Time Magazine even recognize this in this particular article about the importance of commitment. There's a Time Magazine headline, I should have put up there, it says, for better or for worse, the growing movement to strengthen marriage and prevent divorce. You know why? Divorce is disastrous, or can be, without Jesus to the children. Why would Time Magazine, I ask you, present on the cover article the importance of commitment to marriage? It shocks me that Time would even think about a thing like this, but they do. It's because of the deterioration of family. Some people have got this attitude, I've got to do what's best for me. And that's called, the biblical word for that is selfishness. Can I suggest to you, you just throw that line clean out the door? No, you don't. You have to do what God says is best for you. And his word never changes, his will never changes. When you do that, that is what's going to be best for you, to do what God says, not what the world says or our selfish desires. God actually says, keep your commitments. That's what's good for you, even if it's painful. Even in a business contract, keep your commitments. Don't try and wiggle out of them because you underball something. If you screwed up a quote, you'd deliver on the quote. Your yes is yes and your no is no. Be careful. Quality workmanship, quality time. So you'll never build a great marriage unless you throw out the option of divorce because it's always easier to run than it is to rebuild but it's always more rewarding to rebuild than it is to run now one of the reasons why people don't keep commitments is they don't know the meaning of the word commitment they think they do but let me give you one stick this bullet in your gun see if it works commitment really means being willing to be unhappy for a while that's the honest to God truth until we work it out. That's what commitment really means. It's not all flowers and daisies and perfume. Per commitment means I'm going to stay with you as long as it takes because I made a commitment to God and regardless of what you choose, I am going to be committed. Now, one of the greatest enemies of commitment is this ridiculous myth of incompatibility. Incompatibility is really just a funky word for selfishness and stubbornness. When you say, well, we're not compatible. Well, what really means is I'm not willing to change and I'm not willing to give. That's what that really means in clear speak. Actually, you're being selfish and oftentimes both of them are being stubborn. 
Here's what Paul Turnier, uh, Paul Poppenhoff said, the director of the Institute of Family Relations. He says, quote, I don't believe incompatibility exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. Friends, bottom line, our marriages are what we make it. And if you would take all of that energy that you spend complaining about your marriage to your friends, or all of that time and emotional guts comparing your marriage, and instead focus on growing your marriage, your marriage will be a whole bunch better. So the problem there is you're just putting the energy in the wrong place and griping and comparing rather than investing in your marriage. Healthy marriages have a willingness to compromise, a willingness to change things up, change the way you're doing it, and stay with the commitments I've made. So evaluate yourself in that fifth area. If you're saying, I'm toying leaving my marriage, giving yourself a zero. If you say, I'm out of here as a threat when I'm mad, give yourself a zero. But if you want to be a success, have a successful marriage, you need to eliminate threats. You've heard in the old days we took of WMD, weapons of mass destruction, right? There can be words of mass destruction in their marriages. Like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. You should ban those. Stop. Make a commitment. Stop. Don't ever bring those in there. Just make a choice. But if you say divorce is not an option for me, you give yourself a 10. I've often said to my friends, it's very simple. I've always said, I've said to my kids, kids, your mum and I never get, you know, divorce is off the option, you know, is off the table. Murder is a possibility. <laughs> well, I ain't getting divorced. <laughs> Again, no marriage is perfect. But let me say this to you. At New Hope, we are committed to making marriages work. Sixth and finally, Christ is pivotal. You need communication. You need consideration. You need compromise. You need courtship and you need commitment. But you need the sixth thing, Christ, to give you the power to do those things. Jesus Christ gives you the power, the desire, and the ability to remain committed when your human love wears uber thin. And it will. The Bible says in Philippians 2, your attitude in your relationship and your marriage toward each other should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's how it should be. Because Jesus Christ is the unifying factor. When a husband and a wife have Jesus Christ living within them and they are both committed to Christ, that has serious implications for life, for marriage, for parenting, and for eternity. And it's Christ that brings you together in spite of all your differences. Because here's the truth. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in you. Christ is in my wife. And Christ, I can promise you, will not fight with Christ. What happens is my flesh 
fights with some my wife's flesh. Huh? It's not Christ. So the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is put Jesus Christ right at the center of that. How do you do that? First, you just invite him in to come into your life and say, Jesus Christ, I have sinned. I have blown it. And I need your forgiveness in my life. If you haven't done that, you should do that today. Then you say, together, we want our marriage to honor you. And we want to treat each other the way Jesus Christ treats us. Just think about that for a second. Because marriage is actually a picture of how Jesus and the church fit together. Then you need to get into a church that's committed to building strong marriages and hang out with other couples who are absolutely committed to making their marriage work. If you, friend, have friends that are not committed to the marriage, drop them. Get out of that. It is dangerous territory. Hang around with people who are super committed to their marriages and their children and parenting. I don't care how funny those other people are or how close they live to you. If they are not committed, it's dangerous to have them as close friends. Your closest friends should be just as, though, just as committed to building their marriage as you are and strengthening. So get into a church and find people like that. Then read the Bible together. That's a, that's a good point. Maybe that's something this week that you've never done before on a consistent basis. Pray together. And maybe memorize some scriptures together. And you'll find that Christ will bring you closer and closer together as he deals with your insecurities and makes you secure in him. So evaluate yourself on this one. The place of Christ in your marriage. If he's got no place in your marriage, give it zero. If you both attend church together and discuss the message, well, give yourself a three or four. But if you say we're both committed our marriage to Christ, we're praying together, we're trying to read the Bible together regularly, give yourself a ten. So friends, good marriages don't just happen. They're not by accident. They take effort. They need intentionality. And they build on these six ingredients. And I challenge you to make two commitments as we wrap. During the next several weeks, will you intentionally plan to work on communication? Intentionally, not just, oh, that's a good idea, and give you a warm fuzzy, and then forget about it the moment you drive up the drive and turn right or left. If you want something really practical, can I recommend to you something? Kimberly and I have done this multiple times. Go to a marriage enrichment seminar for a weekend. You want one? Family life today. Is that what we call them here now? I think it's called that here. Yeah, just over here. Go invest. Grandparents, help your kids out. Take them for that time. Because what you want is your children's marriages to, to, to thrive, not just survive. Go do that. Invest in that. Look into it. Family life today. Make time. Maybe book a holiday. Some time for just you. Maybe just book a date. Wherever it is on your continuum, wherever you are, you're all individuals. But make time to work on courtship, to work on deepening the commitment. And then secondly, I challenge you, if you haven't already done, to invite Christ into your life. To say, God, when my patience, my energy, my love, my emotions are all run out, he can give you the power to do the right thing.
Let's pray. Father, we recognize today that every single marriage needs strengthening. And we thank you that marriage is your idea. Father, would you help us to learn to communicate better with each other and more intentionally to, to make the time. Father, help us to be considerate with each other's feelings and help us slow down enough to listen and really hear and feel. Holy Spirit, help us to be gentle when we disagree. Help us to compromise, to give a God-honoring outcome to the areas of disagreement. Holy Spirit, you've told us to invest and make the time to court one another and to delight ourselves in our mate. Help us, teach us, counsel us how we should do that. And Father, help us to deepen our commitment firstly to you and to each other. Jesus, we need you in our lives. In your fantastic, matchless, wonderful name we pray.